Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. A familiar guest, one of my all-time favorites, um, a personal distant mentor to me, whether he knows it or not. Mr. Gary Bannister joins us again. He is the author of books like If You Like Exercise, Chances Are You're Doing It Wrong, In Arthur's Shadow, and uh, the most recent one, which is a couple years old already, What They Won't Tell You, Golf Performance Training. So uh, the last time he was on the show was back in March of 2017, and I'll link that to the to the show notes. So go ahead and check that out. He kind of gives his background and how he got into strength training, exercise, and uh, how he relates that relates that to sport and um, just everyday life. But we covered topics like uh, warm ups, high intensity training, um, how to get started, and, and things like that. So I highly recommend everybody go back and check that out. But you can also listen to this. It's not not a big deal. A lot of a lot of different crossover. Um, Gary, welcome back to the show. I, I appreciate you for joining me again. Well, thanks, Eric. It's, it's nice to be back, and um, I'm glad that you uh, considered me a second time. I appreciate it. Oh, are you kidding me? When you first of all, when you reached when you reached out to me, okay, for everybody who do, who who doesn't know, I have this man's uh, one of his quotes as my signature, and I've had it for a very very long time as my the signature of my email, um, and so it, it it's basically it, it says insist on being your best by using proper strength training. Uh, Gary Bannister, and that's from one of his his books. And when when you get an email from someone who you're using a, a quote of his in his signature, I remember talking to my wife. I'm like, what? I wonder what what it's like if you're someone and you look at somebody's email and at the bottom of it, you're quoted in it. <laughs> and I just I think that goes to show, um, at least for me, uh, the impact that that uh, your writing has done your your contribution to strength training is done so i i appreciate you taking the time out and um i know that you're going to say soon that you, you all you have left is time because you're recently retired from um from fitness coaching so i i kind of wanted to dive into that and maybe uh get your thoughts on on reflecting back over your career and maybe we can kind of go from there so if you don't mind Tell everybody um, how you got into to training people, and um, let's see where it goes. Okay, Eric. I, I started out uh, crudely, as everyone else did, when I was about 14 or so. I was, uh, I was into golf and, uh, and uh, sports, different sports and stuff, and golf became my best sport. But uh, I, I wanted to uh, – I was inspired by uh, Gary Player, who was a uh, – uh, South African superstar at the time with Palmer and Player, uh, with Palmer and uh, Nicholas, and uh, and he was the only guy lifting weights. And I thought, God, he, you know, he's a small guy. Maybe you know, he that's what his motivation was to try to compete with the big boys. So he started lifting weights, and uh, so I bought a couple of his books, and I was interested in getting myself strong. I wasn't. Uh, I only weighed about 125 pounds at that point, if that. And uh, so. Uh, that started me, uh, you know, my own uh, thing. I got some Joe Weider uh, charts in, in the basement there and started to do the 
uh, his system. I'd look at uh, a bunch of exercises. A few of them were pretty dangerous and, and stupid. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I got started like that. And then uh, uh, I finally went to uh, McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, near where I was. And uh, I, I got into their gym. Now, their gym was about maybe twice the size of your kitchen. It wasn't very big at all. And certainly for a school of 12,000 students uh, that had a football team and a uh, basketball team and, and all the sport hockey and the whole thing up there, uh, it was it was a pretty lousy facility. It had a couple of pieces of, of things in there. But uh, uh, I literally was about the only one in there uh, for the four years that I was at school. Uh, mm-hmm. My exercise physiology teacher, was who uh, in, in, was inspirational to me, uh, showed up a few times. He was a three-time Canadian champion on the rings and uh, quite a specimen himself. But uh, literally no one used that gym. Uh, the football team didn't. There was no room for anybody in there. But um, I, I remember a, a, a sprinter would come in from the uh, track and field team about every, oh, once every three months he'd come in, do a couple sets of squats and leave. And then there was some uh, woman on the rowing team that was uh, in there once in a while. But uh, other than that, I had the gym to myself, and uh, which was no big thing because, again, there was nothing much in there. But um, so I started pretty crudely like that. And then um, I uh, decided rather than uh, once I got my degrees, uh, rather than stay in Canada and become a teacher, which required one year of teacher's college, I thought I'd get use that year and try to get a master's degree. So I went down to the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. And, uh, again, they had no gym. <laughs> so I used whatever I could at down there, but, uh, again, just inventing things. And um, uh, just before I left McMaster University, uh, my exercise physiology teacher uh, introduced me to a Nautilus machine. Uh, he had just purchased one for the school. I was quite excited about uh, Arthur Jones and, and this new concept uh, supposedly a thinking man's barbell and everything else. And I, I, he took me down to the basement, put me on this thing. I did a couple of reps and had no idea what I was doing, where I was or what this piece meant. But uh, it was kind of interesting, and uh, it caught my attention. And uh, once I graduated in uh, from North Carolina, I, I picked up a job at uh, Averett University in uh, Danville, Virginia, which is only about 50 miles north of Greensboro, right on the border there. And... Um, uh, in town, in Danville, Virginia, uh, a new Nautilus gym opened. This is 1973. And uh, one of the teachers who was a member there said, hey, I want to take it to my gym. They got some new equipment there. So, And uh, I was quite excited. It was Nautilus and didn't quite know what to expect, but uh, um, walked in there in pretty good shape. I was in, in very good shape, in fact, I thought. And I, I was uh, on the floor, uh, uh, sick to my stomach, in, in problems probably less than five minutes. So it, it, it really turned me around in terms of my thinking. And um, so I started thinking that, geez, there's a there's a better level of conditioning uh, that needs to be had here. So I joined that gym and, and worked out there. And the guy running it was, uh, I don't think he was too well-versed in the whole thing. He was too busy making more shapes. But uh, anyway, he... Uh, introduced me. He only had about 10, 10 pieces of equipment, but it was a pretty tough workout, and uh, that caught my attention. And uh, and then, uh, just to, to backstep a little bit, uh, I, 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 globally, what I've seen happen from the time I entered the gym business, uh, which was in Venezuela at some point, um, to, uh, to now, I, I've seen a, a lot of changes. There, there's 
Jim started off as crude as I, I was in myself, and then there was uh, there was out of a need to attract people to gyms, mainly women who who uh, perhaps had the money and perhaps uh, uh, are more um, uh, constant in gyms than men are. Um, there was there was a lot of changes. Jane Fonda came in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started offering aerobics classes and different kind of group things. Uh, Pilates eventually showed up and stuff like that. All with the with the idea of hey, we, we how can we make money at gym because gyms were not attractive by by any means otherwise. And then of course this Nautilus machine era uh, changed the, the whole landscape in gyms. And pretty soon, uh, by the nineteen mid nineteen seventies, there uh, if if you didn't have a Nautilus machine in your gym, you're pretty well dead dead in the water. Um, I mean that was it was like uh, the word Kleenex. It was just a, a brand name, and and you better have it or you're out of business. So. Um, and then, of course, uh, now, you know, when you look back now, um, the current scene, uh, you walk into a gym nowadays and there's hardly any equipment there. Right. Uh, certainly machines machines have gone down the toilet and everything else. So uh, you walk in, you say, well, what am I supposed to do here? And that's, of course, where they make their money. Well, I'll show you what to do and we'll do this functional training. We'll do this, uh, you know, rubber bands and, and balls and we'll just make up equipment as we go. And uh, so that's where the scene is gone. And. Uh, kind of disappointing in a way. Uh, anyway, I, I taught four years at, uh, at, at in Virginia and uh, coached and different things. Don't ask about my coaching record, by the way. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I spent four years there. I went to Venezuela. I, I had met a girl and uh, went down there as a tourist, and they offered me a job in, in high school in uh, Venezuela to uh, be the, um, the head of the department and everything else. It was a only one American high school in the city, five million people, so it was a pretty big school. So I took on that job for, and did that for four years, and and uh, it was lucrative. So I saved enough money to eventually buy some uh, Nautilus machines, and I ended up, I bought 12 to start with, and I bought uh, 13 more, and then I, I purchased uh, 11 more from there. I bought 36 or something like that, uh, plus a, a MedEx back machine, which was a, a later story on that. But... Uh, so I ran a gym there for 10 years, and it was uh, quite interesting because uh, uh, people there respected you quite a bit. They had a lot of money down there at that time, and um, they respected me because I had an, a, a North American education, etc. Et so, um, And I ran it pretty strictly down there. I remember uh, one of my members, after a couple of years, they were kind of uh, not too motivated about hard exercise down there, as, as most people aren't. Right. But... Um, so they were looking for uh, something that might have a sauna and a steam bath or something relaxing in it. And so uh, I ended up uh, uh, putting a sauna in by, you know, which was a, my first big mistake probably. But um, anyway, I remember one guy coming up to me and, and saying after about, oh, he was one of my first members in the first year probably. He said, Gary, he said, uh, he said why don't you put a, like a juice bar or something like that over in the corner here. you got some space. And, uh, you know, some, some healthy sandwiches or a juice bar and that kind of stuff. And I told him right off, and this probably ticked him off a little bit. I said, uh, I said, Andres, I said, uh, the reason why I won't put a juice bar in that corner is because when I go to my favorite restaurant in town, I can't find a Nautilus machine. <laughs> so <laughs> That's pretty good. So, this, is a, this is a damn gym. It's not a, it's not a restaurant. So uh, anyway, so I ran a pretty strict uh, show down there. And uh, 10 years, because the country fell apart during that time, and I made a mistake of, of putting in a, 
a medex uh, uh, back back machine down there in a rehab center as well. So I had two businesses going when I left in 1990, and. Uh, the country had fallen apart, and there was really no no way to make money. Not, now the country is absolutely impossible. It's a friend of mine still down there, my business partner, my former business partner. Uh, Venezuela is, is absolutely gone. <laughs> wow. So uh, I'm glad I got out when I did, but I should have gotten out about 10 years earlier. 15 years down, 14 years down there was 15 too many. So. <laughs> but um, anyway, in, in all this process, uh, I came back to the States, and I worked uh, in private gyms, and, and uh, the last a job I just retired from. I worked there 15 years. It was where Jack Nicholas lives in a private country club, and we ran a, a pretty good show there. We, had, we were in a $5 million gym. Uh, they, they put up a $25 million clubhouse and a $5 million gym at the same time um, and voted it in in about two minutes. So had a lot of money there. Wow. So uh, we had a pretty good facility. And at first we had all Medex machines. We had about 20, 20 Medex machines. And then when they put the new building up, uh, they they decided to have new equipment, so they purchased Cybex machines, and it was it was very well equipped. It looked like a, a luxurious living room, the whole place, and it was quite interesting. But uh, anyway, uh, all through that process, Eric, I noticed a couple of things that that were, were kind of disturbing, and it's not the fact that uh, that uh, that I was pretty strict on Arthur Jones' stuff, and and Arthur had. Uh, had said pretty much everything that needed to be said or could be said about exercise. And he was a pretty smart man and, uh, and pretty inquisitive about things. And he, he wrote extensively uh, throughout all that time. Uh, so anything I could, anytime I could get my hands on anything he wrote, uh, I would just take it up like a sponge. And, and it just made sense. Uh, he was a logical thinker, and a lot of his stuff made sense. But uh, looking at, at my whole history, those 35, 40 years in the, in the business, from 1980, um, I've, I've seen a few things happen that that are uh, not not positive in my in my opinion. Uh, you know, the gyms have gone. There's there's so many choices now, gyms. You walk in and there's you know uh, every there's 20 things going on in there. You can do mm-hmm. Pilates and and this thing and that thing and stretching and over here and group things and and that and and the whole idea about strength training has has kind of been pushed to the to the background. And uh, in my day, it was the only thing we did. I, I had a couple of bikes and we, in my place, and that's all. I had no barbells. I didn't want that, that type of people in my, in my place. I just had those 36 machines, and that was it. And, uh, and I, had, I was busy. I was busy for 10 years. It was a, quite a lucrative business. But uh, anyway, um, and I remember reading what Arthur Jones said in the early 1970s, which I believe is still true today. Strength is the missing link in athletic performance. And um, he created a resurgence in the importance of strength by creating his Nautilus system and attracting a, you know, that kind of clientele to, the, to a gym. But um, I don't think that that statement has, has changed at all. I think strength is still the missing link because now it's been shoved to the background. Right. And um, everyone's into performance training and this like that, but uh, they, they've abandoned the idea of, of good, hard strength training. And, and as you know, uh, strength is probably the most important thing anyone can choose in a gym. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, what you can get from a gym, you can get uh, uh, stronger, you can uh, get more flexible, you can increase your cardiovascular condition, uh, you can increase um, uh, or decrease your chances of injuring yourself, and, and, of course, decrease your body fat. Those are about the five benefits you can 
you can get from a gym, of all those benefits, there's only one that is actually productive, and that is uh, strengthening a muscle. Only strength can produce human movement, the contraction of a muscle. Right. Uh, if you can be as flexible as can be, you can be in super cardiovascular condition. That does not produce movement. Neither of those. They only assist movement once movement is initiated by the contraction of a muscle. So strength is still the most important thing, and yet it's been pushed uh, to the side. Um, so um, uh, my, my last couple of years were a little bit uncomfortable where I was, uh, only because uh, every year we had a small change in the staff once in a while. And they, they kept on bringing in uh, performance trainers and functional trainers, and, and, uh, and that's fine. I mean, it gave some variety, and again, we, everyone was a specialist in something. Mm-hmm. And um, but I, I just saw that the uh, uh, the, the strength part of it, uh, because a lot of those groups, the performance trainers and the functional trainers, are are totally anti-machine. Uh, they're anti a bunch of things, and uh, so they will not even sit on a, an exercise machine. And all an exercise machine is is what I call a thinking man's barbell. Uh, and and Arthur Jones could could care less whether you sat on a machine or a barbell. Hard work is hard work. Right. Um, his, his machines had an advantage, obviously. But um, so I, I saw people being funneled into to areas where uh, it, they tried to make fun for them. Now we had an older population, and that's fine. When you're when you're my age, you don't want to push things, and you you can't push things because of health reasons, etc. But um, so the p- people would come in and get a pretty watered down uh, what they called the a workout and. Um, they would call, boy, that was really challenging today. And I'm thinking, how could it be challenging? Because all you're doing is pulling out a bunch of rubber bands and, and uh, doing a couple of balancing. It might have been you know, tough skill-wise, but it certainly wasn't tough strength or, or physiologically. Right. But, um, again, so the emphasis has gone from that to, to basically customer satisfaction, uh, retention, and uh, some things that they're fine. They're part of the business, but... Um, I don't know, and and the people. If, if you if you have a terrific personality, um, you can pull it off. I mean, you can rationalize anything that's done in a gym. Well, this uh, works the balance, it works the hip flexors, and whatever. And you can you can convince anybody once they they get to like you and, and to know you, and they think that you you're trying to do something positive for them. Then they'll you know you can make them stand on their heads, and and they'll they'll believe you. Right. So, um, but I I've, I've seen that kind of thing go down the drain. And then uh, I remember, uh, uh, with, uh, if I can uh, interlude a story here with uh, John Turner. Uh, I, I visited John. I visit him every year up in Canada. And John has a website, ArthurJonesExercise.com, which is absolutely terrific. Yeah. Must read for I believe any any kind of trainers. But uh, John and I were, were uh, chatting one one day in his living room, and we were watching TV, Canadian TV, and and uh, I believe it was at the time of. Um, uh, one of the one of the Olympic Games was on, or something. It might have been the Winter Games or, or whatever. But uh, uh, they were it was coming up, whatever. So uh, they showed that some Canadian athletes training for, you know, the the Olympics and stuff like that. And and John and I sat there and just laughed, and we laughed and laughed because they were doing you know the balls and the bands and the just stupid stuff that that uh, you know any kind of idiot can see was was ridiculous, but. That's what is being offered now. And um, so we, we just had a good laugh about it. And, and uh, I, I thought to myself, uh, 
Okay, here's the here's the Canadians training. Canadians rarely win anything in terms of Olympic medals, and, right. and they're training in this stupid ass method. And it's not because the athletes are stupid. I think it's because the trainers have simply focused on this uh, area of functional training and and non-machine stuff and and non-isolation, all that stuff. So here the Canadians train like that, and I'm thinking they're they're they're, they're wasting their time. They could be doing something a little bit better, certainly, and. Um, it made me feel as a Canadian I should jump in there and at least voice my, my opinion on the whole thing. But uh, anyway, and I also thought this, that, that heck, the Americans are doing the same darn thing. The right. American athletes are doing the same stupid stuff right. uh, that, that I call stupid. And, and some people would say, well, I'm stupid. But anyway, uh, and the Americans are winning. So it, certainly the way you train and what you do uh, may not have a lot to do with your success. And of course, Canada is a much smaller country than the states in terms of population, athletic population, etc. But uh, so uh, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, and I, and I'll, I won't deny that. But I simply think there's there's some ways that are a little bit better than others. But um, anyway, there's another statement that Arthur Jones made in the um, in the mid 1970s in his writings again, and I'll quote him. Um, he said this. He said, and I heard him say this uh, uh, several times in lectures that was lucky enough to, to uh, listen to him, uh, 99.999% of people who perform progressive resistance exercise in this country do not know how to properly lift or lower any resistance for a single repetition. It was something to that effect. And, um, and I believe that that statement has not changed either. And that's pretty sad. Yeah. When you, and, and Arthur, I don't think, visited gyms to, to figure that out. He had people coming to him a lot of them are bodybuilders and, and professional athletes and guys who've been lifting weights and should have known what they were doing. Uh, in his opinion, they absolutely didn't. They didn't know how to do even one repetition of any exercise. So uh, recently, once I retired here, I joined a gym uh, called Planet Fitness, and they're, they're pretty good in terms of what they offer. They've got a lot of machines there. Yeah. And um, it's a pretty clean place, and uh, it, it's a pretty big place and, and well-populated with uh, with people and stuff like that. And I've been there now two months. Uh, I, I retired on uh, June 1st, and, of course, didn't have a- access to a gym anymore, so I joined this place. And honestly, in the two months I've been there, two and a half months, uh, I have not seen anyone do one repetition of any exercise correctly. It is pathetic. <laughs> In terms of form, and now I'm, I'm, and I'm just looking at a casual eye. I'm not going in there looking for it. It simply, you know, shows up, and um, and part of that is is the, the form is just awful. Uh, and you you've probably seen this if you've ever gone to another facility. In, in your facility, I'm sure you you control it to some extent or try to control it. Um, it one is speed of movement. Yeah. I mean, everyone goes so darn fast, especially the men. They're just awful, and. Um, the, the, some of the women go a little bit slower, and, and, and uh, but they usually don't know what they're doing. But then they're, they're half afraid of getting muscles, half afraid of getting, getting injured. So that's why they go slower. And I used to have a saying in my gym in Venezuela. I used to say, if you want to learn how to properly use a piece of equipment, I said, uh, watch a woman. I said, don't watch a man do anything. So And that was pretty much a rule for 10 years that, that was, was valid on there but anyway so i think people go you know in general people go far too fast and uh, 
uh, one of my books, I think I said, if I walked into any gym in this country with a bullhorn and just hollered out, slow down, two words, slow down, and people listened, everyone in that gym would get better results. Yep. Absolutely better results. I don't care what speed you're going now, slow yourself down, go half the speed, whatever. Uh, and I've, uh, every person that I've ever approached that's going like a locomotive in a gym, I say, hey, yeah, just slow down. Just go, go, you know, I'll even count to 10 for you. I'll count to five, whatever you want to do. And just something to make them go slowly. And in every case, without an exception, uh, after three or four repetitions, the guy's eyeballs will start to pop out. And he'll think, oh, geez, I really feel that. Well, I mean, one-on-one is two. It's just common damn sense, you know. Right. And so why, why people don't slow down, I have no idea. I, um, I think it's against human nature. Yeah. One, and yeah. Uh, because it, it, it makes them feel it. And uh, geez, I don't want to get big muscles. Or I don't it's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, anyway, I, I, I used to uh, tell people, I'd say, close your eyes as you're on this thing and just feel the weight. The way, the way you're lifting, every inch of the way, don't miss an inch of that lift. And that gets them to, to start focusing in on, on what they're supposed to, you know, be be there for in the first place. So anyway, and then the other thing that I never see that I haven't seen yet in this two and a half months I've been there. And then I'm talking that, Eric, I've been to many gyms over my lifetime there. And sure. I, you walk in, you see the same thing every time, whether it's 1970 or 1980 or now, um, no one, no one makes uh, a pause in a, in a muscle contracted position. And, and a pause, if you, like a pull down, you pull it down like a chin up type of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you can hold it at the bottom, if you're on a good machine with a good cam, etc., on that thing, it's very tough to hold it in that position. Yes. And uh, by making it tougher, just for that one or two seconds you do that, uh, every repetition, uh, again, it makes it really hard. You'll only get eight repetitions instead of the ten you were expecting or so. It makes something makes it harder. And I, I, I've never seen anybody. They're just going so fast, bang, bing, 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 up and down, up and down. And um, I don't know. I, I, and because of this gym I'm in is kind of a place where they they don't like people to, to criticize. You know, yeah. don't criticize the, the, the fat lady over in the corner, or don't say anything about this guy going fast. You know, so I I just absolutely follow the rules, and, and I don't say a damn word. And uh, but I did approach an instructor the other day, and I said I said God, people in here just have no clue how to do. And I said oh, I said well I've been in the business quite a while, and, and it's pathetic. Well we have some trainers, and uh, so you wonder what the hell is going on, you know? Yeah. We got all these trainers hanging around. There's there's about ten guys with shirts on that say staff and trainer whatever. And um, do they never approach anybody? Anything? Do they not know? Uh, it, it makes you sick, uh, really. And yeah. You what? You wonder what they do know, and and um, how much they because it's a no no criticism place. I guess they just let things happen the way it's going to go. So well. And then the other thing, the other thing I don't see, Eric. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no! I was just going to say, like, it, going back to the very beginning, you know. They don't want to make anybody else feel uncomfortable. And I know the exact kind of everybody knows the the gym you're talking about, and they've yeah. they've done a great job with marketing. They've created a place where people who don't wouldn't want to go to the gym, they go to this place. The problem is once they get into yeah. that place, there is zero direction on purpose. You know, so yeah, instead of right, yeah. instead of instead of someone just simply, you know, what's what's wrong with handing them literature saying, okay, starting from 
you know, adult, like, well, not adulthood, but around the age of 30 plus every decade, we're losing between three and 8% of your muscle mass over that, you know, the course of that decade, here's the importance of having muscle mass. And I think right. we're so scared to use those words muscle mass together because we all, what do we think of? We think of like the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and things like that. Yeah. And, exactly. and, 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 and and we've talked about this in the first podcast. There's nothing wrong if you're into that that type of the the fitness scene. Fine, but everybody, like you said at the very beginning, I won't reiterate the whole thing. But everybody needs to to get strong. Everybody needs to have lean muscle mass. It's only going to benefit you to be strong later on. And yeah. the I and and another thing. So we're, number one, we're afraid to say those things to people for some reason in those settings. And number two, yeah. when we're looking at strength training machines. For some reason, I don't know when it happened, but people look at them like they're the enemy and and the whole idea of quote unquote and you said you mentioned functional training. What's un, what's not functional about strengthening the quadri, quadricep on a on a leg extension? What's not functional about a lat pull down? What's not functional about a an upright chest press? Because just because you're seated doesn't mean it's not functional for that specific muscle group. Like think about what you're trying to accomplish. That's the function of it. That's where functional yeah. comes in. Doesn't mean just because you're standing on one leg throwing a ball, that's not functional. I mean, that that's, yeah. you know, might be a fun looking activity. And I don't and I'm not gonna say there's zero benefit to it, but when it comes to strength training and for longevity, I think that should be last on the list. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there there is zero benefit too when you think about the, the strength gain from it. There's zero zero strength gain from it. That's yeah. guaranteed. Yeah. But when when somebody says to you when they're looking at a machine and they're like, well, that, those are the oldest things in the book and that's an old style of training. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the newest form of training, and the dumbbell has, dates back. You know the earliest findings I think to the 1400s barbells. Um, you know, the modern barbell, much more uh, recent. 1902. Yeah. Right. So, barbell, 1902, yeah. yeah, so, so we're, we're, we're thinking in terms of, of um, how, to, how to make fitness more attractive to people. And when you do that, I think that's where things get watered down. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I've seen over the, over the years that I've been in this thing. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, and, and the, it comes in waves. I mean, the, the, it's, I, I blame in part the uh, certification organizations that uh, <laughs> and their money money making groups that just get together and say, hey, Eric, let's you and I uh, put a philosophy together. We'll make a book and we'll uh, we'll call it whatever, um, you know, such and such organization, and we'll try to outdo the uh, the big boys in town, and and uh, we'll try and get more people signed up with us, etc. We'll go around the country uh, spouting out our our venom here and. Uh, I think they've influenced a lot of people. That the, the new trainers coming in uh, have never heard of Arthur Jones. They don't think he they think he works down at the Publix down there. <laughs> but uh, I mean, they don't know who he is. Uh, they uh, they they just follow, follow what their book says, and their book says uh, um, the functional training books at least. Uh, no seated exercise. You should never be seated because when are you ever seated during during uh, daily activities or during uh, sports? activities so you should never do exercise when you're seated um you should never uh, uh get on a machine and and isolate a muscle because uh, when during sports or daily activities do you ever have isolation um a yeah. couple other things i wrote down here um uh, you should never go slow because you want to mimic the speed that you're trying to use in your sport or your activity so slow is out mm -hmm. um 
they say, well, you've got to, you know, train exactly the way you're going to try to train when you do your sport because you've got to get the, the neuromuscular synapses ready for the task as well. And then um, the uh, other thing is, um, uh, let's see here, I never use a seatbelt. You never use a seatbelt at all. And, uh, oh, the other one too, was, I found interesting was uh, you need to have your feet on the ground. Uh, during exercise, because uh, one of your feet not on the ground during sports and stuff. So uh, anyway, yeah, I asked right. one of these uh, functional trainers. I said, "Well, I, I'm a I'm a world champion chess player, and I come to you. I said, what are you going to do? Because during chess, I'm already seated. So uh, are you not going to be able to train me or what? Yeah. Are you going to make sure my feet are touching the floor when I'm when I do my chess? You know, you could get into some BS like that. <laughs> but uh, just to challenge them, but um, and I've had some challenges. I've got. Uh, I, I was the only uh, only real strength training guy there when I left my place. There was six guys, other trainers, male and female, that were uh, into functional training, and uh, they would never use the machines, which was nice for me because I had them all for my clients. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I never had to worry about them, but I had to step over them as, as they were lying on the floor downloading some stupid video or whatever to try to get things. So that's a, that's another thing, Eric, is the, is the, uh, that I've seen is that, uh, most people still do volume training. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that I've seen this in this gym, uh, they, they sit there and sit there and sit there, do, do at least three sets. So where's that coming from? You know, back 1960s, again, fifties, whenever it started. And, um, and a lot of people are are distracted by uh, they've got music going, they've got iPhones going, they've got you know telephones, whatever the crap's going on, and uh, so they never um, you know they, they don't focus on what is there and and certainly get the benefits of what is in that gym and what could be done with yeah. them. So it's it's very disappointing. I remember my gym. Uh, I I didn't allow any gadgets at all. Uh, the phones were coming in at that time. And uh, I didn't allow any music or any anybody wearing earphones. I said, because I'm going to be giving you instructions as we're going around here. And I said, I don't want to be uh, interrupted. We only got 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't want to be interrupted by, uh, you know, by you not hearing what I'm saying. So yeah. I didn't allow any of that stuff in, in my place. And uh, so they respected that. Um, again, the, the gringo from North America, you know, <laughs> the kind of thing. So, so that was a, a plus in that thing. But... Um, Anyway, just in in general, all, all these specialists that are coming up uh, have all turned away from hard progressive training, and um, I think it's a money decision, a client satisfaction retention thing. And then, um, you know, with, with all the, all the new trainers in the field, the field is inundated with people now, where you couldn't find a trainer ten years ago. Yeah. Um, with all the trainers coming in like that. And then with uh, with the supposed all the, uh, more people doing exercise, uh, you know they say that that number is increased. I don't believe it. I think percentage-wise, it's probably the same or, or not any better. Um, well, why is form so bad? I mean, where where have we gone wrong? There's more trainers in there that that should be helping you and and that, and there's more people doing it, and yet uh, it's to me it's the same as it was when I first entered the field. So. The, I think you're right. I think the the Right now, it's hard to find. There may be, quote unquote, trainers and coaches out there. And I think this kind of links back to a couple things you said. The certification factors, you don't have to be qualified. I think I think um, only a few of the, quote unquote, top 10 
certification organizations require a person to have a degree. Not that that means that you're going to be better at what you're doing, but uh, some yeah. some some type of long-term education it doesn't have to be an exercise science. The fact that basically what that means is anyone can get certified. And all that means is that you can get, um, you're going to be protected under some type of insurance that they might sell you, something like that. Um, it's easier mm -hmm. to get insured if you're certified. Um, and then another thing is a lot of the people, when they come in, they've been training themselves for such a long time. So they want to train other people how they train themselves. So they don't take the time yeah. to get a mentor and to learn from someone or to read. And if they are reading, yeah. it's from the national uh, chains, men's fitness, men's health, things like that. Um, and that's yeah. where the, and that's, that's why you're not seeing a, a change in like the volumes of sets of reps, because it's all bodybuilding style and not just like helping someone lead a normal active, healthy lifestyle, just by being strong, focusing on the major muscle groups, spending a little time, um, coaching form, correcting form. I don't see that, yeah. you know, often enough, uh, people yeah. getting corrected. I don't know why I don't, what else, if you're a trainer, what other, what are your main responsibilities? You keep people safe, you give them direction, uh, you set up the exercises and occasionally you might have and, to count. And, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. if you're I, not I, correcting, I that, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, mo motivating is another thing. You, you motivate them to try to push beyond where they're, where they're going or where they'd like to, like to stop at least during exercise. Right. Uh, I, I get a kick out of, uh, out of one thing. Uh, I, this functional training stuff, we have a, a, a specialist in our gym, at least, that had two master's degrees. So he was you know, one master's degree ab above me and, and above anyone else. So when he first came in, our, our director thought that this guy was, was a god. You know, he was a genius. And uh, he was a smart kid, no doubt. And uh, so every time we had a, a meeting, a staff meeting, so, uh, he would be he would give a seminar for about a half an hour after the meeting. And of course, um, he was a little bit arrogant and he said, well, if you, you want to learn anything from me, just come up to me and ask me and I'll be able to help you. And I'm thinking, yeah, son of a bitch. anyway, <laughs> so, um, and that didn't, didn't bother me a lot at the start, but I just, that arrogance just kind of ticked me a bit. But, uh, so anyway, he's over there. He's a master at doing uh, movement screens. Oh, so, uh, the functional what I get, movement what I screening. Get kick, what, I, what I get a kick out of is that's how they evaluate it. We used to evaluate guys. We'd put them on the treadmill and give them a cardiovascular test and a strength test of some kind, which was a little bogus as well. Yes. Because yep. pretty much you just, you could, you, I can look at somebody and, and guess, well, I'm going to start him with 35 pounds on the leg extension machine. Exactly. 45 on this one, whatever. And uh, anyway, these functional trainers would, would get, and, and they'd, they'd write up some kind of a thing. with all very professional. And they were into it, and uh, it, the report would come out that while well, your balance is is uh, iffy, and and uh, I think you need to strengthen your uh, hip flexors and and uh, maybe the quadriceps and and a little bit of the hamstring over here, and you know they they look at all this crap. Anyway, once they got, and and I'm fine with that. I mean, it, it's like to me like a physical therapist watching you walk down the hallway and saying saying, oh, you're, you're listing a little bit to the left side. Maybe you need the adductor, whatever. You know, they it's a selling on. tool. So they watch, they watch you move and evaluate you that way. And that, that's fine. That's an expertise in itself. But when they come up with this final thing, okay, we're going to strengthen the hamstring. We're going to strengthen the uh, deltoid. We're going to do this. And, we're, you know, and they rationalize the whole thing, and we're going to put you together uh, so you can you know, not play Humpty Dumpty anymore. Anyway, they... Um, uh, then, then they, they go and, and strengthen the hamstring, for example, 
And because they will not use machines, they will not do anything but standing exercise, uh, they go over to the police station and they, they wrap this damn thing around the guy's ankle and he's standing there doing something he used to do in 1902. And, and, and we got the damn Bentley right beside it. You know, we got a right. damn leg, leg curl machine. That's a, that's a beautiful machine. Yeah. You know, the damn thing. It's a, it's like going into your garage and, and, and uh, you, you're, you're going to work every day and you've got a bicycle and you've got a, you've got a Bentley. And every day you, you pick the bike. Yeah. I mean, they, they end up picking the worst exercise that I could think of to strengthen the hamstring or whatever. Or the worst source of resistance, a little rubber band. Okay, pull on this. Well, they're wasting time. It just really, I got I got a laugh out of it. Because I'd be training people, and they they look over and they say, "Well, what are they doing over there?" And I'd look, and well, that's functional training. They're probably trying to strengthen the deltoid or something. You know, it's just stupid-looking stuff, even to the average guy I was training. Without, you know, was uneducated, but um, yeah. Anyway, I. The, just the word, just the, the phrase functional training, and it's funny because I know some people listening to this kind of laugh because, um, especially a couple of my colleagues, they'll they'll say that term sometimes out loud just to piss me off <laughs> because, oh, yeah, because, exactly, yeah. because we're, first of all, the FMS you're talking about, the functional movement screening, that's that's really big. That's no different than any other, other uh, certification process, though. It's a selling tool. You know, it's a buy-in yeah. process. I'm... Yep. I'm not saying it's it's bad. Maybe there's some benefit to it, but here's the deal. When someone comes in and they are only spending a couple hours a week with you, you need to be as productive and precise as possible. And if you want to run them through a gauntlet of, of tests and batteries every quarter, every month, whatever it is, so you can so you can sell them on the fact that they're making improvement instead of showing them maybe some hard numbers saying, hey, on the leg press machine, you started out with 200 last month. This month, you're doing 210. You know, next month, we're going to try for 215. And, yeah. here's, and here's why we're doing that because it's making you stronger so you can get yourself off the ground and... Uh, you know, climb a flight of stairs, pick up your grandchildren, carry in your groceries yeah. uh, by yourself. Yeah. Instead, there's a, there we have to there there's like a a selling contraption. And okay, we're gonna make this big long process, and we're gonna do mm -hmm. 15 exercises, 15 movements. What and and who came up with these movements to begin with? Who who's to say doing an overhead squat with a dowel rod above your head? Everybody needs to do that. What is so functional about that? Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, I think that's that stuff came out of physical therapy, to tell you the truth, a little bit. I guess. I, I'm guessing. Yeah, there's Mike Boyle, um, I think, and there's one other guy who's really big in, in, the, in, the, in the fitness field. Great guys. They have great lectures. They, they do a lot of good stuff. They put a lot of good content. Mm -hmm. But, man, they push that stuff hard, and it's they make a lot of money off of people getting certified from it. I'll tell you that. And um, yeah, if, if someone comes into me and, and I tried and I have them do – let's say a body weight squat just to start. And right away, if, if I see that, you know, their knees are, are buckling in or moving out, they're not on their heels, you can coach those things. You can spend more, it's more valuable to coach, I think, to spend more time coaching them through the movements um, and then progressing them to a machine with a little bit of weight and then maybe going back uh, and do some varying, varying types of squats and just show them why it's better to move a certain way. Um, cause more than likely, once you start getting a person stronger by using machines, by using dumbbells, barbells, some body weight stuff, maybe, um, yep. you will see their body start to click and, and put, put itself back together.
I mean, it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, your your body uh, the, the wants function, to be in line. The functional approach is, excuse me, the functional approach is is, uh, is very different. They they want to make sure that you've got perfect, you know, let's say balance in your body, right and left side, and all this stuff, and then perfect form be, before you begin to load a muscle, and that it's a big safety thing, you know. Everything is about safety and progression, and as, as you said, they they drag it out. They'll do four yeah. or five months before you even start strength training. And and then what gets me about this whole process, and I've, I've seen I've seen it for years, is that the safety, 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 and of course that's important. Yeah, and of course. Form's important. Yep. Stuff, but uh, they eventually get once you get advanced and you get going like that, and uh, and you're in activities that require power, then they all you just drop the damn safety and they start doing explosive movements. Right. And I'm thinking, right. know, safety, 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 tiptoe up to the cliff and then just jump off it. Uh, you know, it, it makes me laugh. It just makes me laugh. That's so true. Yeah. Like the moving barbell speed and um, explosive movements. And, you know, it, it's funny because I, I, and I'll use the, I'll use the coaching cue uh, explode. I'll use that because I know when, when a person is at their most fatigued point, like they're not going to be able to explode. So I like to use yeah. that as like a reference, like try to move that barbell as fast as you can now when they're yeah. already fatigued by doing nice, yeah. slow, controlled repetitions. Now try to move it with perfect form as fast as you can. You can't hurt yourself that yeah. way. Your, your muscles won't allow it. Um, yeah, you, you can't produce enough force at that point in, in time because of, of the fatigue. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't, so I don't know, Gary. I don't know where where this is going to be in, in 10 to 15 years. I, I just came back from a conference, um, an awesome conference in St. Louis area. And, um, I'll, I'll be releasing like another podcast has something to do with that uh, later on. Actually, it'll be before this one. So people, if you're listening, go back and reference that one. But, um, the, what they're, what they're starting to teach at these conferences, not, not every single one of them, because there are some very small conferences that are held. A couple of them are in uh, Cincinnati, true strength training conferences, they're, they're selling this idea of, of here's what people want. People want, you know, the rock and noise and they want all this awesome music and they want um, TRX straps and bands and balls and body weight stuff. Yeah. And so you see all these incredible, like beautiful facilities being built and not a single machine in sight. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then they tell you about the attrition rate. And I'm wondering, is the attrition rate due to um, injury? Is it due to people getting bored? Is it due to, you know, what is it? Cause as soon, yeah, as soon as you start to introduce all of these big flashy new exercises, cause you mentioned earlier, you know, how, tra how some trainers are creating exercises as they go. I really, I truly think when you start introducing people to these, what some trainers would call, um, advanced movements, like standing on a BOSU, for instance, which is complete mm -hmm. bullshit and does nothing for balance or stability or anything. But you start I giving agree. them these things, clients start to expect those things. And then they expect mm -hmm. you to start getting more and more um, fancy and more uh, crafty with all these exercises when if you can't explain why, why you're doing it, then why are you doing it? Just to show off? Then what's the point? I, there, there is no point to it if you can't explain like your rationale well, I, behind it. It's like saying I introduced you to this useless exercise four months ago. You said, now I'm going to just make it more useless. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. I just, why, why, I don't understand why sticking with the basics, um, 
You know, if you go, if you go to, since you made a car reference earlier, if you go to take your your car to get fixed, um, and you don't know anything about it, and you have the person telling you, "Well, we're gonna do, we're gonna use the best equipment, and we're gonna do all of these." special checks and realign this using these tools. And if you don't know what you're talking about, about if you know nothing about a car and you're trusting this person, then of course you're going to buy into it. But if you do, you know, a little bit of research and understand like, you know, getting your oil changed shouldn't be that difficult to begin with. (laughs) You know, exercise shouldn't be that difficult. It should be hard. A few few principles, if you follow them correctly, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Form, progression, intensity, and let's go from there. You know? It's a lifetime. You you can exercise. You should be able to do the simple things over the course of your life and continue to get strong, stay strong, stay safe. Um, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to look now. I think I think there is something to be said for using a barbell instead of dumbbells instead of an upright chest press machine for you know a chest or. Uh, exercise or a shoulder press but all that is is a variance in tools you know the methodology is different but the principles are the same that's it yeah yeah Yeah. you got me all fired up gary (laughs) pardon me you got me all fired up now well that's good you got me fired up too it's good Um, one one thing i wanted to also mention erica in this history of mine Mm -hmm. is uh the disappearance of full range exercise and that has to do with the disappearance of machines obviously uh, no one knows what full range exercise is. When yeah. I mentioned full range exercise, I asked this trainer with uh, two master's degrees. I said, "Have you ever heard about full range exercise?" He said, "Oh yeah." He said, "Sure. You just make sure you move through a full range of motion when you do an exercise." That's what his his interpretation was. Two master's degrees, and it, full range exercise has nothing to do with that. It has has everything to do with the fact of the uh, the resistance changing as you move through a full range uh, rotary movement, for example, and. Uh, Challenging the muscle at every degree of, of movement throughout that full range of, of motion. That's basically what the Nautilus cam did initially. And, uh, but people, it's just disappeared, uh, again, with, with machines. But yeah. I also well, want to mention one other thing, Eric, while I have, uh, if I have time. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, to go ahead. Yeah. The, um, this, I, this trainer with two master's degrees, I don't want to be picking on this guy because he's a, he's a good kid. And he's, he's very dedicated to what he does and everything else. Good. Um, he was he was lecturing to us one day, and uh, about uh, low backs. And uh, I have a little bit of a specialty in low backs. I had the medics machine for years and everything else. So um, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. In fact, Arthur Jones said, and I'll quote here: "There are no experts in any field. There are some people arrogant enough to call themselves experts, and many people dumb enough to believe them." So uh, I'll start with that. But Anyway, he was talking about uh, low backs, and um, he said most of my information is I just went up to a, a clinic up there in northern Florida, and, and uh, all the big shots were up there. Uh, this Canadian fellow, I won't mention this guy's name just to keep it off the charts here. Sure. But, um, this Canadian fellow who's a Ph.D., and um, anyway, he's written five books, I believe it's five books, very thick books on uh, lumbar function. And so he's an expert, and he's basically a Paul Bunyan among functional trainers with anything related to backs. They'll, they'll refer, well, he did this research, and we found this out, and this is why we don't like to extend the backs. And they're very big on having the neutral spine and, and don't ever get into any kind of extension situation. Well, anyway, um, uh, speaking of John Turner there, 
John yep. lives pretty close to this guy. And um, so John wanted to, John's a big Medix uh, fan, and uh, he went to interview this fellow. And uh, they had, they spent an hour with him, and John said, nice guy, and, um, you know, very smart. But um, he asked him about the medics and about the seated extensions, which basically the medics, the lumbar extension machine is. And uh, it's, it's been extremely successful with people with chronic back pain, et cetera. Well, he didn't believe in seated exercise, didn't believe in extensions at all. And hmm. uh, uh, he, he said this to John. He said, extensions cause... Um, cause disc herniations. And he said rotary movements, which Medix has a rotational machine as well, uh, create um, uh, delamination uh, situations. So he was totally anti medix And John actually read part of his book before he went in there. He knew he was anti medix anti-seated, anti-extension, etc. So um, anyway, they didn't get along too well for about an hour, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure there was a little tension in that room at some point. When John finished, he, he, he got on the phone and talked to uh, Dr. Michael Fulton, who was Arthur Jones's right-hand man and uh, orthopedic representative for the Medics and Nautilus Company from about 1972. And he had some input on this, on the Medics machine himself. And he's been very successful, I think, 40 years up in Daytona Beach uh, looking after patients very successfully with this machine and still big, big advocate of it. I was up there three or four months ago and, and spoke with him. But... He phoned Dr. Fulton. He said, uh, Doc, he said, I just had this interview with this Canadian doctor, PhD, and uh, he said this, and he said that disc herniations with extensions and uh, delaminations by rotation, and Dr. Fulton said to him, John, he says, he says, I, when will this bullshit stop? That's exactly what he said, something <laughs> like that. He said, I can't, he said, that is so wrong. He said, I have treated 30,000 patients. Uh, with back extensions like that, and I have never caused a, a herniation of a disc. And he said that with the rotation, he said that is absolute bullshit. Anyway, so uh, this guy dropped this name, uh, and and I I jumped up. I, I had to jump. I just just like you, I'm getting you all fired up here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I said I told him about the, my buddy's interview with him up there, and. Uh, uh, the people that in the know think that this guy is just a dog. You know, he he doesn't know a damn thing about it. And no matter how many books he's written, and I I thought I thought this too. I said, I said all the time that this guy spent in his life, he's maybe 25 years studying lumbar function, like that. Uh, I said, uh, all this guy can come up with in all his five books in terms of exercise for you know, helping the lumbar spine, helping people with lumbar problems, is what uh, he calls his big three. And his big three happen to be, uh, one is for the uh, lumbar uh, extension muscles, the other is for the abdomen, a third one is for the obliques. His big three are this, the bird dog. The bird dog is for, is for the back. Uh, abdominal curls or crunches, which any you know we we knew about that in, in 1902 mm -hmm. and uh and the third one for the obliques was side uh, a side plank and I, I thought this guy has spent 30 years studying the lumbar spine and that's all he came up with <laughs> i thought that is absolutely an insult you know yeah and i thought this uh, arthur jones wrote in fact um and, and I, I mentioned this to this guy i said that's in front of the whole staff i said that's absolute garbage and uh, anyway, we got into kind of a little scuffle with the whole thing. 
so I uh, the next day I brought in uh, um, eleven pages I think well no pardon me it was uh, I brought in the whole thing it was two twenty eight page article that Arthur Jones had written as an advertisement in a, in a magazine uh, called Risk and Management or something like that back in I'm not sure when it was late eighties and uh, it, it it was t- entitled uh, Lumbar Function. And Arthur looked at the whole thing, measured everything off of, figured out how to how to figure out where the you know what the dynamics of a of a of the lumbar spine was during extension. And he looked at dynamic X-rays, which had the had the pictures in the three positions of lordosis, extension, and flexion, and uh, and figured out a way to measure it. So it's absolutely foolproof. It, it makes sense. Uh, Arthur used a lot of pictures in that thing, and I said, if, if anyone just read that, then they would know exactly how the the, the lumbar vertebral work. And uh, instead of compressing the, uh, the the discs in extension, which I think this Canadian guy believes, uh, actually the, the disc space opens during extension, and that's because that's the success of the medics machine. Right there, it opens up space and, and strengthens the muscles at the same time, which is a, a, a double plus. But anyway, um, so the, the, I've had that kind of discussion with these guys. I also had a discussion one day with them about power. We got this. Uh, are you familiar with the Kaiser uh, pneumatic? Uh, I guess it's just a like a pulley station. Yeah, I know exactly yeah, what you're know. talking about. Yep. Yeah, this uh, a few weeks ago when they had the PGA tournament, the Tiger Woods uh, thrilled everyone. And um, I still watch the golf. Uh, they showed a bunch of guys doing exercise. This Brooks Kepka won, and uh, he's a pretty muscular guy. And they they showed him doing some exercise, and he was on this Kaiser machine pulling uh, as fast as he could go both ways, pulling, pushing at the same time. And um, so this uh, guy with two master's degrees introduced this to us. It, it was his his. Uh, he made the thing come to our facilities. Oh, this is a must. We have to have this for performance training. It's a must. So we brought it in. It was uh, as a pulley station. It's fine. It's, it's nice and smooth. It's got a good feel to it. It's, we didn't need another pulley station. We have three or four already. But um, this one measures power output. You know, if you pull quick or hard, you'll get a number. And uh, I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. That's and also a very dangerous idea. So. Uh, Anyway, he, he introduced it to us by showing us the, the Kaiser uh, training um, video right from the company, how to use this thing for power. And, of course, the, 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 the first thing that came up with was if you, if you move slow, or pardon me, if you exercise slow, you'll move slow. No, of course. If you exercise fast, you'll move fast on the field. Well, that got my attention. That got me boiling. Huh? And... Uh, so anyway, it was about a five-minute video, and, and, and all the trainers are nodding their heads. The trainers tend to go like sheep with anything anyway, uh, from my experience. And um, so uh, we got into a discussion in the back. In fact, the next day I, I wrote an 11-page article on, on how shitty this machine was uh, in terms of, of the instructions, not the machine itself, and uh, how dangerous it could be. Um, because the only thing that, that the public knows is that, hey, I, I produced a, a score of 90 today when I pulled as hard as I can, uh, and the instructor's going to try to get me up to 95 and 100. Well, the only way you can get there is you're not ma- making yourself stronger necessarily. It's just to pull harder, you know, pull faster. And pulling fast is, is just, a, you know, not the way to go. You, you just produce very, very high forces. Arthur Jones once told us, he said, if, if anyone tells you to move faster during exercise, 
he said, turn away, turn and walk away. He said, you're talking to a fool. And he said, fools come in, in two different kinds, one with a, a lot of degrees, um, educational degrees, and the, the second kind are those with big muscles. So um, anyway, <laughs> I got into a discussion, and, and I ripped in these guys in the back, and now there was three of them in there, and they, they totally believed in this, this uh, you know. And the one guy said, well, he said, well, how the hell are you going to build power without speed? I said, well, you can de- certainly, certainly you can't demonstrate power without speed, but there is a way to build it without speed. And I said, it's very easy. I said, three things. Increase your strength, increase your skill, and decrease your body fat. And that's all you can do, period. And it's very safe. Yeah. So, and that kind of shut them up a little bit. Well, we have a lot of respect for Arthur Jones, but we, you know, they, they weren't around when he was around. And, and I honestly, if I can say one last thing, is that uh, um, if, if for anyone thinking of becoming a trainer or want to learn something about the damn business, um, I think that John Turner's website is an absolute must, not because he's a friend of mine, simply because John's taken the time and, and expense to uh, put together everything that was ever written by Arthur Jones. And you may say, well, Arthur Jones, who's he, the guy that works at Publix or what? Um, no, uh, he was a pretty smart man and... Uh, uh, I, I honestly think if you read that, then you have a heck of a good base for mm-hmm. whatever the heck you want to do after that. And I don't know what you think about that. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. And I'm, you know, like those other trainers you're talking to, I wasn't around with Arthur Jones. Arthur Jones was around, but I have been through um, John John Turner's website, and I've read. I'm not. I can't say I read everything, but I've read a significant amount of it. And um, I was reading. Uh, Arthur Jones articles back in college. And that's kind of when I got my first taste. And then I kept reading and I kept reading. I read it again, read it again, read it again. And even though I wasn't around for it, if you put any kind of critical thinking into exercise, especially if you're a trainer and you want to have a successful business because you want to help people. And the only way to help people is to keep them safe and to keep them coming back and keep them seeing um, safe, effective results is to use some critical thinking into what you're doing. And if you're afraid to do that because you're afraid to lose clients because you think you have to entertain them, then mm-hmm. to be completely honest, you're doing it wrong. There are going to be people yeah. that you work with that just don't agree with what you do. That's okay. That, that, that doesn't has nothing to do with you and your business. There are going to be clients that want the flashy stuff. That's fine. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, if you don't want to do that, Good. Don't do it. They'll find somebody else to go to. They'll find another schmuck to go yeah. to. Strict. Exactly. Stick to your principles. Do a good job. Do what you know is right. And the people that, the people that know, that have any kind of common sense, will listen to you and say, "Yes, that does make sense. I do want to train for a long time. I do want to continue to get strong, and I do believe in these principles." They will stick with you, and and and, and as a trainer in the business, and you know, I have not. Haven't been in it as long as you have. No, I mean, I hope I hope I can extend my career for as long as you and and uh, hopefully pass down knowledge like you're doing. I hope that that reaches somebody and it continues and and I continue to do, do the same thing. So, um, Gary, I think uh, you know, I I, I at, the, at the beginning you you told me to stop you if you started to get all you know riled up, but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't stop you. <laughs> And I'm, uh, okay. and I'm, and I'm glad and I, I, I appreciate it. And 
this is like a refreshing thing to talk because I have a lot of people on the podcast, a lot of people that um, they may do things that I don't necessarily agree with, like Olympic lifting and things like that. And as a sport, it's it's unbelievable. And I have a lot of respect for those people. Um, I, I would never do anything like that with my clients or anything like that. But I think as a platform, um, a person in the industry, I try to find the most credible people I possibly can doing um, the work in their field. So whether that's Olympic lifting or whether that's uh, building a personal training business, dietitians, whatever it is. And, and in my eyes, and you know, th this is coming from somebody who's, who's nobody like myself, but Gary, I think um, your word is just as valuable as anybody else in the industry. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and spreading the knowledge. And if people have any questions, comments, concerns, where's the best place to get a hold of you? Well, it's just probably my, uh, I don't have a website at all. I, I, I'm not uh, that, that inclined uh, mechanically, but uh, uh, just my, just send me an email. You'll be fine. My, my email is Gary Bannister with two N's and uh, number 48, Gary Bannister 48 at yahoo.com. Perfect. And, and I'll link. happy to answer any questions that they uh Well, I'll link all of that to the, to the show notes. And, and Gary, again, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, hope we can do it again soon. All right, Eric. It's always a pleasure and I, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I didn't give you a word edgewise, but uh, next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com.